You're listening to a sermon preached at First Baptist Church in Farwell, Texas. We are committed to loving God, loving people, and going into the world to share the gospel. We pray you find this message both challenging and encouraging. This morning we're going to start a new series uh, in the book of Acts. I'm going to preach, uh, God willing, about nine different sermons Uh, from the book of Acts. This morning is going to be somewhat of an introduction. A lot of what I share this morning will really be uh, fleshed out uh, in in the rest of the nine uh, different sermons. So if you have your Bible, I'll invite you to turn there. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. I want you to see something before we dive into the text. What we're going to see is the birth of the church. The birth of the church in the book of Acts. And I want you to know this, the birth of the church is the birth of a revolutionary force. When you think about what has taken place over the last 2,000 years, how the message of Jesus Christ has been spread all over the world for the last 2,000 years, it is nothing short of a revolutionary force. Listen, no political party can defeat it. Technology, as great as technology is, it will not alter its course. Uh, Even the, the demonic forces, Scripture even says the gates of hell will not overpower it. Amen? That's church. I want to ask you a question. How has the church, the body of Christ, the believers, How has the church stayed powerful for 2,000 plus years? No other organization, no other movement, no other revolutionary force has even come close to doing what the church has done. And so the question must be moving around in our mind, how is this even possible? How has the church stayed powerfully active? How has the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that that forgiveness of our sins is made available through the person of Jesus Christ, death, burial, resurrection, how has the gospel with all of its detractors and naysayers continued to be spread throughout the world? Let's look at Acts chapter 1, the first verse Uh, first eight verses, then we'll come back and we will unpack it. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 says this, (coughs) I wrote the first narrative, Theopolis, about all that Jesus, here's a key word, underline this, highlight this in your Bible, began to do and teach wrote the first narrative of Theopolis about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day He was taken up after He had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles He had chosen. After He had suffered, a reference to His crucifixion, His his, uh, death, burial, and resurrection, after He had suffered, He also presented Himself alive to them, being the apostles, by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Verse 4, while he was with them, speaking of the apostles, Jesus commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. Can you imagine what that wait was like? 
Jesus had commanded them before he was even crucified, when this event happens, when I go to Jerusalem and they, and they crucify me, I want you to wait there. Can you imagine waiting in the small city, hanging around in the small city where they just crucified your teacher, your Messiah, the one you have been following? Can you imagine what that weight was like? How, how in the, I mean, the, the fear that must have been on the disciples as they're trying to follow this. But, but here's what he's saying. While he was with them, he commanded them to not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. We'll explain that here in just a moment. Which he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you, disciples, apostles, We'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. Verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Father, I pray that you teach us this morning. By the power of your Holy Spirit, God, would you be the teacher. May you pour your words deep into our hearts and into our minds. Father, may we listen with the intent of being obedient. God, would you encourage us this morning with your word? Would you show us what your plan is for our life? It is in your son's precious and holy name I pray, amen. Well, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8 is really the introduction <coughs> to the entire book of Acts. Really, in the, in the central theme uh, could be found there in verse 8. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses. And then he gives this concentric circle, if you will, of, of you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. You will testify about me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria. And if that wasn't far enough for the disciples at that time, he says, even to the farthest reaches of the world, to the ends of the world, you will be my testifiers. You will be my witnesses. The power of God has come on you. And the rest of the book of Acts unpacks for the next 30 years what Jesus did through the apostles. But not only what Jesus did, but what Jesus intends to do, not just through the apostles, but everyone who calls themselves a follower of Christ. Everyone who calls themselves redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So how has the gospel, with all of her detractors, all of her naysayers, continued to be so powerful. Well, let's start where the writer of Acts starts, and that is with the centrality of Jesus Christ. The church has stayed so powerful. The message of the gospel has stayed so powerful because of the importance of God in the flesh. That's point number one, because of the, <coughs> excuse me, 
the importance of God in the flesh. Look again at at Acts chapter 1, verse 1. I wrote the first narrative, Theopolis. Who is this? We have heard of this person before. We've heard of the person Theopolis at least one other time. And and this, this writer of Acts is saying, I wrote the first narrative. So another narrative has been written. Who is this? This is none other than Luke. This is Luke's sequel. Acts, the book of Acts, is Luke's sequel to the gospel of Luke. I'm going to show that to you here in just a second. He says, I wrote the first narrative, Theopolis, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. He's saying, so, so the gospel of Luke, and, and, and you, can, you can add the other gospels in there as well, the gospels are, are, are narratives of all that Jesus, here's the key word, began to do and teach. It's not all that he did. It's all that he began to do, which means this. If he began something, he is going to finish something, but somewhere in the middle, which is where we are at, God is still actively at work. So he says, I wrote the first narrative, Theopolis, about all that Jesus began. So here's what, here's what uh, the good Dr. Luke says. He goes, the, the gospel, the power of the gospel will stay, or the gospel will stay powerful as long as we keep Jesus Christ the central figure of the gospel. That's where he starts with Jesus Christ, the centrality of Jesus Christ. He says, I, I, I wrote the first narrative of Theopolis about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. So he wrote everything that happened until the day Jesus ascended. After he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen. Now watch, turn with me to Luke chapter 1. And I want you to see where we get that Luke wrote Acts. Look at what Luke was a doctor. Look at what the good doctor wrote in his introduction of the Gospel of Luke. Many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us. So he's talking about the other Gospel writers and other, other books of antiquity that, uh, that, that aren't part of authoritative Scripture. Many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us. Just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us, it also seemed good to me, since I have carefully investigated everything from the very first to write to you in orderly sequence, most honorable Theopolis. So that, here's the key phrase, verse 4, so that you may know with certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. Luke is saying this, I have, I have done an investigative report of all of the eyewitness accounts of all that has been written, and I have put this together, Theopolis, so that you can be certain that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, the Son of God, the Messiah, the one who takes away the sins of the world. And so here we have the good doctor, Luke, writing his second book 
of the book of Acts are often referred to as Acts of the Apostles, which is the birth of the church. So there's a little bit of an introduction of the book. The Gospels, and I want you to see, here's the difference. The Gospels are the account of who Jesus is, affirming his deity. The Gospels affirms his deity with multiple convincing proofs. The Gospel of John says there was more that, that, that could be written down, but, uh, but, but there, wouldn't have, there wouldn't be a warehouse big enough to store all of the, of the scrolls of, of what Jesus has done. So I've, I've only compiled a few for you. The Gospels affirm He is the Son of God. The Gospels affirm His authority. The Gospels affirm that salvation can be found in Him and Him alone. The Gospels are the accounts of the beginnings of what Christ was doing and teaching. But watch this. Here's here's the shift. The book of Acts is the account of what Jesus is continuing to do. The Gospels are the account of what Jesus has done, what He began to do. Acts is the account of what Jesus has continued to do. Through the Christians, this is key, through the Christians by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. The world has been transformed by the living presence of the living Christ in every successive century for the last 2,000 years. The world has radically been transformed. Jesus began to do Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And thank God Jesus is continuing to do. Amen? In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus began to teach. And thank God Jesus is continuing to teach you and I. Amen? Listen, Jesus did not pass away. When he ascended into heaven, he didn't leave this uh, this world void of his presence and his power. He, He indwelt Christians with the power of the Holy Spirit. He's been here ever since. And through every successive century, he has been busy doing and teaching. And I'm so grateful for that. Listen, we cannot sit around and reminisce. As long as God allows me to be the pastor of First Baptist Church Farwell, we will not sit around and reminisce about a God who was. Listen, we come together as brothers and sisters in Christ and His power and His presence, not to celebrate who God was, but to celebrate who He is. That's what we do. So how has the gospel continued to be spread throughout the world? Well, number one, the centrality of Jesus Christ, the importance of God in the flesh. Number two, a revolution fueled not by opinions, but a revolution fueled by facts. A revolution fueled by facts. And here's fact number one. You ready? Jesus, or I'm sorry, Jesus's resurrection. Fact number one is Jesus's resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ demonstrates the unconquerable power of God. The most significant fact in Christianity is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the question is, did it really happen? Did the resurrection of Jesus Christ really happen? Verse 3 leaves no doubt. Now watch, watch what Luke is doing. 
He is laying the groundwork for the birth of the church, and he is giving us this fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's already given us the centrality of Christ, now the the power, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 3. After he had suffered, meaning his death, burial, and resurrection, his crucifixion, death, and burial, after he had suffered, he also, underline this, presented himself alive. Not in spirit, but in body, full body form. He presented himself alive to the disciples and to many others as well. And I'll show you that here in just a moment. But he presented himself alive to them by, these are all key words. There's so much in every single, every single one of these words. He presented himself alive, key word, to them, meaning multiple people, by many convincing facts. Not one, not two, but many convincing proofs. Appearing to them, not just one time, but over a period of 40 days, and speaking to them. He had a message, and his message was about the kingdom of God. Did you you catch the, by many convincing proofs? Confirms, affirms that Jesus really did raise, rise from the dead. Not only do these early Christians see Jesus in his resurrected body, they were with him. So, so it wasn't like they just kind of saw him as he was passing by. Scripture says they were with him over a period of time. They, they didn't have some kind of momentary hallucination or it wasn't um, like bad um, fish that they ate and they had a, some vivid dream of, of this Jesus coming back. The evidence tells us that it's irrefutable. Jesus died and rose again visibly and audibly. He proved it. Not just to one person, but to multiple people at, at multiple places. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6 tells us that at one time, he presented himself to over 500 people. Listen, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is an irrefutable fact, which points us to how power of the gospel has made it over the last 2,000 years. It's over, overcoming death. What incredible power. Overcoming death. And I want you to see, here's why I point that out. The same power that enabled Jesus Christ to come out of the grave is the same power that lives inside of every person who calls himself a Christ follower. That same power lives inside of you if you are a redeemed child of God, if you have repented of your sin, asked Jesus Christ to come into your life, made him the Lord of your life. Listen, that same power that raised him from the grave lives inside of you. Which says this to every Christian for the last 2,000 years, every time temptation comes, I have the power to say no to that temptation. What an incredible testimony. No other Organization, no other force has that ability. That only points to Christianity. Ah, Yeah. How is that even possible? How is that power possible? Fact number two. 
the promise of the Father. <coughs> the promise of the Father. Look at verse 4. Before Jesus' death and resurrection, a promise was made. Before the resurrection, before his death, the promise maker made a promise. Look at verse 4. While he was with them, he's, what Luke is doing is he's reaching back into time and he's saying, Listen to this promise that Jesus made before he was crucified. While he was with them, he commanded them, speaking of the apostles, not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about. In other words, Jesus didn't just talk about the the promise uh, of the Holy Spirit just once, but he spoke about it on multiple occasions. Let me give you one occasion, John chapter 14. This is the occasion, this is, this is the last supper right before Jesus was to be arrested and crucified. John chapter 14, verse 12. Follow along on the screen with me. John chapter 14, verse 12. Listen to what Jesus says in the upper room. Truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. Now, now think about what they're hearing. They've seen Jesus do some incredible work, Right? And Jesus saying, I'm going away, but you're going to be able to do greater works than I have done. How is that possible? Look at verse 2. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commands. Watch this, verse 16. And I will ask the Father, here it is, and he will give you another counselor. Jesus has been their counselor. Jesus has been their Messiah, is their Messiah. He's saying, here's the promise. And I will give you another counselor to be with you forever. That means this. When you struggle in your walk with Christ, This counselor is still with you. He hasn't leaked out somewhere. This counselor is with you forever. Here's what the disciples are thinking. We have been following you. You're telling telling us you're about to leave us. Jesus knows the the struggle on their heart. He's saying this counselor is not ever going to leave you. He will be with you forever. Who is this counselor? Verse 17 answers that question. He is the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive Him because it doesn't see Him or know Him. But you do know Him because He remains with you and will be in you. Listen, the power that filled Christ in His earthly ministry is soon going to fill the disciples. Here's the good news. And at our conversion, at the moment of our conversion, He fills us 100%. Jesus doesn't move partway in. I remember before uh, Kim and I moved here back in, back in 02 when I was a youth pastor here, uh, there was a period of, of about eight weeks where uh, we, were, we were living in a in a parsonage uh, at the church that we were at before, and there's a period of eight weeks in the transition. We knew we weren't going to be there very long. And so when we moved into this apartment, we moved just the basics. Like there wasn't any pictures on the walls driving Kim crazy. 
nothing hanging on the wall. It was, there was the couch, and I think a chair, and some TV uh, trays. You know, you know, you remember TV trays that still have TV trays? That's it. A couple of towels. That was it. We knew we, we didn't want to move everything in. No, we were about to move out. Listen, that's not Jesus. Jesus doesn't, doesn't just kind of move a, a little bit of himself inside of us, wondering, hey, is this thing going to stick? Are they going to be a good Christian? Uh, if, if so, maybe I'll move in a little bit more to help them out. And if they, if they receive that well, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll move in some more. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll take out the 27-inch TV and I'll put up a big curved 4K 57. Seven, that's even a small one today. 70-inch TV. Now listen, Jesus, when Jesus moves in, he moves in. When the power of the Holy Spirit moves in, he moves in 100%. How has the gospel continued to be spread throughout the world? God in the flesh, the centrality of Jesus Christ. God became man. Number two, fueled by facts. Jesus' resurrection is a fact. And then second fact is the promise, the promise of a helper. The gospel, the good news that forgiveness of sin is available through Jesus' death and resurrection has been told for the last 2,000 years. Here's the good news. God is deeply passionate of continuing to tell that story using you and I, using our lives throughout the world, using each one of His redeemed children to spread that good news to every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. And here's the deal. Nothing short of a revolution We'll see this come to reality. Nothing short of that. That's why I opened up the, the message this morning with this statement. The birth of the church is the birth of a revolutionary force. And so real quickly, I want to just share, in the, I want to share three dynamics that make the church a powerful revolutionary force. And you, we will see these three dynamics unpacked over the next several weeks, but let me introduce them to you. Number one, the church is not a symbol but a reality. The church is not a symbol, not, but a reality. Look at verse 5. This will, this will flesh this out. For John baptized with water. This is Jesus speaking to the, to the apostles. For John baptized with water. There's a good chance that probably most of them had been baptized by John. And so he's referring back to their baptized, baptism. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in just a few days. Listen, John baptized people as a symbol of their desire to be uh, to be known as followers of Christ. For their, uh, they wanted people to know that Jesus was uh, their teacher. That they were following Him. But Jesus is promising an altogether different baptism. Baptism, not with water, Jesus is saying, but with a person in the person of the Holy Spirit. And as a result of this baptism... The one who empowers Christ, again, I, I, I want to I say this, the one who empowers Christ empowers 
you and I at the moment of salvation. Which means this. We have an ongoing testimony. Not just a one testimony of how Jesus Christ saved me. But we have an ongoing testimony. Jesus has continued to set me free. Continued to set me free from this sin. Continued to set me free from this sin. Continued to set me free from this fear. Continued to set me free from this worry. Continued to set me free. And on and on and on and on it goes. We are a living testimony of what Jesus Christ is doing inside of us. Listen, Christians have an ongoing testimony of being able to say no to the flesh and yes to the Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 9 bears this out. Follow along on the screen. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Again, the ability to say yes to the Spirit and no to the flesh flows through followers of Christ, those who are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So the first dynamic is the church is not a symbol but a reality. The second dynamic is the church is not a program but power. The church is not a program but power. Look at verse 6. This, verse 6, baffles me, but I think I, would, I think I probably would ask the same question. Here's Jesus telling them, the Holy Spirit is about to fall on you. You're going to be baptized. And th- this, was, this would not have been a new term to them. The power of the Holy Spirit goes all the way back to, to Genesis. This would not, the, the power of God would not have been new to them. But here's what they're here, listen to what they're thinking. So when they had come together, they asked Jesus, this is after his resurrection, after he's spending this, this time with them in this resurrected body, and they asked him, Lord, are you return, return, restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? Notice their concern. It's, it's political in nature. It's, it's are we finally going to get out from underneath this slavery, Roman rule? It's all about them. Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set his own authority, but you will receive power. Again, he reminds them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. This is the disciples, and often this is us. We get so blinded by our own concerns that we miss the incredible gifts that Jesus is pouring out on us. We miss the incredible gift that the Holy Spirit is offering to us time and time and time again to say yes to the Spirit and no to the flesh. So concerned with ourselves. Listen, disciples are political power. Jesus is promising incredible Holy Spirit power. Listen, God doesn't indwell himself in a program. He houses himself in mankind. That's you and I encasing himself. And this, is, this is key. He is encasing himself. He is, he is indwelling himself in, in flesh so that, so that people can, can see and so that they can touch and so that they can hear. That's how the, that's how the gospel is going to be spread, not through a program, but through, but through people. I mean, God's power doesn't require no clever programs. 
Jesus doesn't have a, a bag of tricks, tricks up, his, up his sleeve. There's no eye-catching gimmicks to influence others. Holy Spirit indwelt believers. That's what He's using. He's using you and I to spread His message. That forgiveness of sin is available through the person of Jesus Christ. One theologian said it this way, resurrection power changes lives from within rather than from without. Resurrection power does not separate or divide. It harmonizes, it heals, it draws together, breaks down walls of hostility that have been standing sometime for centuries. We see this when the Apostle Paul says, you're no longer Jews or Gentiles. We're, we're one in Christ. We would say that today. We're no, we're no longer uh, black or white or Hispanic. We're, we're one in Christ. We have our different cultures, and we can celebrate our cultures, but, but one is not greater than the other. We're one in Christ. Theologian continues, he says, resurrection pow uh, power says, it batters all of these dividing walls. It batters these all down and brings people together in harmony. This totally different kind of power is what you receive when you receive the Holy Spirit. I believe there are too many Christians that aren't experiencing that kind of freedom, that kind of peace. Listen, there is no program, no organization that will change a person's life more than the testimony of an army of people whose lives have been changed from the inside out. Let me say that again. There is no program, no organization that will change a person's life more than the testimony of an army of people whose lives have been changed from the inside out. Guess who that is? The church. Going to the places where God has planted us. Going to the places where God is sending us, which leads me to point number three, third dynamic. Church members are not promoters, but witnesses. Church members are not promoters, but witnesses. Look at 8b, the last part of verse 8. And you will be. Promise, future tense, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. You will be my testifiers, if you will. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Jesus refocuses their attention to the promise. Their focus has been on political power. Their focus has been on the self. And Jesus is saying, no, you will be my testifiers. You will be my witnesses in some of the places you don't even want to go. Think about it. Their Jerusalem, what would the, what would the apostles have heard when Jesus said this? You, you want us to go to the place and testify about you to the, to the people who crucified you? What are you... you that's a death mission. And Jesus is saying, yeah, that's where I want you to go. For us, our Jerusalem, it's a good chance that people won't like you. 
and it's clear that they won't like the gospel. That's the Jerusalem that Jesus is referring to. I'm sending you to a place to testify about me. This isn't just for the apostles. Listen, this is for everyone who is a redeemed child of God. I'm sending you there. Yep, where they just killed me, I'm sending you there to testify, to witness about me. But not only to Jerusalem, I'm sending you to Judea. What would that have been for the apostles? What would they have heard when they heard that? It's among the least of these. I'm sending you out to the desert. Among the people who are introvert nomads, who have nothing, they have absolutely nothing to offer you. Kim and I, when we were in Israel this last, this last year, had the opportunity, we were driving through the desert, and we saw some of these nomads. And they, listen, they have, they have a pallet. If you want a pallet, you can build a coffee table today with it. <laughs> they, they have nothing to offer. And when they hear Jesus say, I am sending you to testify about me to a bunch of people who live the way they live because they don't want to be around crowds, they're not going to be excited about you coming in their tent. That's where I'm sending you, to testify about me. Listen, that's you and I going to places. Jesus is sending you and I, Christians, places where people have absolutely nothing to offer us in return. As a matter of fact, it might even kind of uh, make our reputation maybe a little bit shady because we're hanging around them. We might, we might smell a little bit by spending some time with them. That's Judea. But not only Judea, it gets, gets worse. I'm sending you to Jerusalem, I'm sending you to Judea to be my testifiers, to be my witnesses, but I'm also sending you to Samaria. This is where you are going to go to be my witnesses, to be my testifiers. Samaria, here's what the apostles would have heard. The sinning Samarians? You mean to be around those reprobates? Yeah, that's who I'm sending. For us today, where is that? You know that for your area. That's who Jesus is sending us to, to testify about him. This isn't just for the pastor. This isn't just for the youth pastor. This is for, this is for all of us who call ourselves Christ followers. And, and, and you say, man, maybe that's not for me. Well, listen, if the, the church, for it to go on, this is what Jesus is calling us to. You say, man, I'm not qualified. Guess who else wasn't qualified? The 12 apostles who Jesus is talking to. They were the least qualified in Jerusalem to do what Jesus is calling them to do. But do you know what qualifies them? The coming power of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't stop there. That's three areas that they know about. But then Jesus says, I'm sending you to the ends of the earth to be my witnesses, to testify about me. That's where I'm sending you. Some of you, this might age, this is going to age me probably. 1994 Barcelona Olympics. 
I can't watch the opening ceremonies and enjoy the Olympic ceremonies anymore because of 1994 Barcelona opening Olympics. If you remember that night, you know, you know what happens at the, uh, at the opening ceremonies for, for depending on what country is hosting it. Some countries, it's been 30 different, uh, 30 days of carrying the torch, passing the torch from one person to another person. Some I read is hundreds, like 170 different countries the torch passed through. So it, it started in one country, in Greece, and it makes it all the way to the country. It's been passed from person to person to person to person until it gets to the Colosseum of the opening ceremonies. 1994, Barcelona. The torch comes into the Colosseum, and the runner is, runs up to the platform. Normally what they do, and this is so boring now when you think about it, normally what they do is they reach in to the cauldron and they light the cauldron with their torch. So it's, it's gone from Greece to whatever country it's at. 1994, best opening ceremony ever. Can't imagine it ever getting any better. Torchbearer runs into the stadium, runs up on stage, and there's a man there with a bow and arrow. You remember this? Has a bow and arrow. The torchbearer reaches over to the tip of that arrow, and he lights it. And that archer went blank. That archer, he pulls back on the bow, and he points up at the cauldron, which is some 300 yards away, and he lets it go. And that arrow lands inside the cauldron, lighting the cauldron and lighting the entire stadium. What a beautiful, absolutely beautiful sight. That's us, church. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And here in chapter Acts, he passes the torch to the disciples. And the disciples have been passing it on and on and on and on until it reached you. Whenever you accepted Jesus Christ, you received the light. You received the torch. Who are you going to pass it to? Who are you going to pass it to? Who's going to come to faith in Christ because of your testimony? Somebody should. We've all been called to that. We've all been called to be Jesus' testifiers, His witnesses in our Jerusalem, our, our circle of influence, our family, our Judea, our Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. Let's do it. Let's be on mission, church, all right? Thank you for listening to this sermon. If you'd like more information about our church or have any questions regarding the sermon you just heard, we would love to hear from you. You can visit our website at www.fbcfarwell.org or send an email to info at fbcfarwell.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching FBC Farwell. It is our prayer that the sermon you listened to was equally challenging and edifying to your walk with Christ. Thank you again for listening and have a blessed week.